Welcome to Mountain View Chapel, Facebook Live, Sunday morning. Um, we are just thankful that we can do this and thankful that you are watching with us for all of you that are already logged on. Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you for those comments and saying good morning. Um, we are continuing to try to figure out how we're going to move forward, what we're going to do. I mentioned during our prayer time, we've been just celebrating the, the beautiful experience last Sunday morning um, at Lazy Creek Farm, just to be able to be together and honk and yell and talk and just celebrate being together. It was such a, such a festive occasion, such a celebration. So I've um, been talking with David and Caitlin this week, trying to work things out, and they are um, just... Um, overjoyed for us to be able to get back together. So we are going to have a modified approach. When you take all the different considerations, stipulations, guidelines uh, with everything that's going on, uh, we are going to be meeting on the front lawn at Rinback. But before we do that on June the 14th, we want to let you know because of what we've been talking about, that we're going to follow up. Uh, the Stelges family has always done an amazing job. This started as just a, a burden, started small when our church family was small. And the Stelges family has just grown this Easter egg hunt. Beautiful, wonderful time for the children. Last year was our first time to do it at the Duggins, um, Duggins property, and we're going to continue that uh, Saturday, June the 13th from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. It's just an hour, and you can see that we've got um, classifications for uh, two different kids and uh, or two different age groups, I'm sorry, uh, age group for the children. We're going to have a great time. We're going to have just a few minutes, and we are going to just celebrate uh, the resur resurrection of our Lord and proclaim the gospel together. So just from 10 to 11. Then the next uh, Sunday morning, June the 14th, we're going to be at Renback, and we are going to have a front lawn. Uh, we're going to have the FM broadcast available for those of you that are maybe you're not quite comfortable uh, venturing out and bringing your lawn chair. Um, we are going to be on the front lawn, so need to be praying about the weather. We're going to have the worship team and myself proclaiming from the front porch there uh, where the double doors are somewhere in that region. And we are going to have an outdoor resurrection celebration. We've been talking about that when we get back together, we have not been um, able to sing up from the grave you rose, and we haven't been able to praise and worship together as a church family. So we're going to we're going to celebrate the resurrection of our glorious Lord together on June the 14th. We're still trying to work through other details for youth groups, some of the things with the children's ministry. And just a, another note on June the 14th um, and moving forward until things, are, things change, until some uh, things are lifted and we go into a different phase, uh, children are going to need to be with their families. Um, the good thing about being outside, it, it gives them an opportunity, but... Uh, we're not going to have nursery or child care. Um, no, no children's classes as we start back. Uh, families will be worshiping together outdoors, so bring plenty of chairs. You can bring your coffee, your sweet tea. Uh, bring a little biscuit sandwich if you want to, and we're just going to have a great time being together. And uh, once again, it is going to be FM broadcast. So let's jump into our study of the Word. I, uh, I just wanted to just throw out this morning that we're going to be remembering Joseph. I've been studying Joseph for um, just weeks on end, and just even for the baccalaureate, um, ladies did an amazing job. So proud of our, our the high schoolers and the graduates. But 
even, even on the back large service, I just mentioned, briefly gave a quick overview of Joseph. And one of the things I mentioned that night is that Joseph had great faith in God. And we've been talking about, we've been trying to remember um, these men and women that have gone before us. And we're trying to, to just get a snapshot of these characters, um, these, these characteristics of these characters, these people, the images from the Word of God. And Joseph was a man that had great faith in God. And I mentioned on that Sunday night that his faith is what gave him the stability to endure some incredibly difficult days. And so this morning as we get started and as we're looking, I, I just want to invite you to look at, and we're not going to be able to read all of this because basically from Genesis chapter 37 to Genesis chapter 50 is, is the, the record of Joseph's story, Joseph's life for what we have revealed to us. And so this morning, the thing that I want to, there's, there's a two-word concept that I really want us to consider. And I think that especially in our current culture, our current environment, with all the changes, with all the technology, with all the improvements that have been made technologically, I think that this is more of a difficulty than ever before. So this morning, as we're remembering Joseph, there's a concept that I really want us to focus on, and I call it patient faith. So I really want you to think about, as we remember Joseph, I want you to think about patient faith. Now, what we're going to do is, I'm just, like for me in my Bible, when I go back to Genesis chapter 37, Genesis chapter 37 through chapter 50, basically 13 chapters are what we're talking about. And I'm not going to be able to expound on the depth of this man in his life. I mean, we could literally do a study of Joseph for a year. There's so many deep, amazing things, but I hope that by us having this conversation and, and us having this study this morning, that it will interest you to study on your own, or if you've already studied, to restudy on your own. And so as we begin this in Genesis chapter 37, we begin with a 17-year-old young man, and he's from a very large, diverse family. Um, I'm going to use diverse family, and you're going to have to read and remind yourself of what that, what that looks like, because... Um, their culture and their clandestine approach to family back then was a lot different than what the average American family looks like today. And so he was from a very large family. He was number 11 of 12 brothers from their father, Jacob. So he was from a larger family. But the Bible says that he and his brother uh, were from Jacob as he got older. So he had um, a lot of his brothers were born early on, and if you know the whole story, if you've studied about the situation between Leah and Rachel, you'll better understand that. So what I want to do is I want to give you a real quick overview of Joseph's young life. And I want to use some words, I want to give you some word descriptions about the first, basically the first 17 years, things that we can take out or extrapolate or that we can, we can uh, kind of gravitate to based on the record and what we read. Quick overview of Joseph's young life, the first 17 years. He was privileged, blessed, he was favored. Uh, you see that he was very intelligent. Um, he had a lot of training. He was very well trained. And yet, there seems to be a level of naivety about all these things. That there was, there was just, uh, with all of this amazing things, there was just a little bit of naivety or lack of understanding about certain things. So I want to say it like this. God had given him dreams and visions and of the, of the future. So think about this. That here's this young man that's got all these amazing things going on, and God gives him 
Um, and it, it's from God. He's given dreams and visions, and he's trying to understand these, and he's excited because God is, God is sharing directly with him. And so think about this young man with these dreams, these visions, these ideals, and he has great faith in God, and there's all these amazing things. He's excited about what he thinks or his interpretation, his expectation of what he believes is going to happen in his life. So let me give you a quick overview of the next 13 years of Joseph's life. So we give a quick overview of his youth, the first 17 years. Now I want to give you a quick overview of the next 13 years of Joseph's life. Now I call this his extended training ground of his faith. Now, that's a little hard, but I want to just remind you, as we go through the study this morning, we're talking about patient faith. Most of us struggle in this developmental training ground. Joseph is a great example of the reality of faith, patient faith. So a few words. He was despised and hated, nearly murdered. He was sold, enslaved, defrauded, forgotten, overlooked, unjustly accused and imprisoned, deceived, heartbroken, manipulated, abused, and greatly disappointed. You jump on that bandwagon? So think about the first 17 years, God had given him some dreams, some visions of the future. And then that next 13 years, that extending training ground for his faith, that it was basically the human reality of great trials and tribulations. Quite a contrast between the two periods of time. Would you not agree? And I believe that we're all faced with the same point of decision that Joseph was faithful faced with. We either cling to God, we either cling to Him, or we push Him away. And really, we can, we can use a lot of different word analogies and we can break it down a lot of different ways, but clinging to God in the middle of these times where there's an extended training ground and it's unpleasant, it doesn't meet our expectation, there's all these things going on. Clinging to God is faith. Pushing God away is unbelief. Now we can make excuses, we can rationalize, justify, but I just want to keep it as simple and straightforward and hope that this resonates. Joseph was a man of faith. He clung to God, which was faith. He did not seem to push God away. He didn't function in unbelief. So Hebrews chapter 11, I just want to remind you that even in this great chapter of faith, this hallmark of faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verses 21 and 22, we see here that Joseph is mentioned, and there's so many scriptures that show that Joseph had great faith. But let's read together Hebrews chapter 11, 21 and 22. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying blessed each of the sons of Joseph, and they worshiped, leaning on the top of his staff. So there was a worship experience, and Joseph was a part of that. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made 
mention of the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his, his bones. So I, I just want you to see that Joseph's faith was evident when he was young in his pursuit of Yahweh, Elohim, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Joseph embraced and believed in this same one true God, and you see it evidenced in his life. Now, I'm going to ask you, we're going to transition, because I, I, I want you to note something. In Genesis chapter 45, I'm going to ask you to read with me in Genesis chapter 45, um, verses 1 through 15. And we're going to read some verses here, and I'm trying to give you a quick overview, because there's no way that we can look at the details and all this particular situations that went on. But some of you right now, you can really relate to some of the words that we used about Joseph's um, 13 years training ground period um, because he experienced some excruciating rejection. He experienced some excruciating, painful things in his life. But in Genesis chapter 45, and I'm not going to lie to you, my wife walked in the other day when I was reading this, and I was just crying because I, I just, this is just a powerful just moved me deeply. And if you've ever been in situations where you've had severed, damaged, familiar, I mean, family uh, situations, the beauty of what God did in Joseph's life is amazing. So verse 1, then Joseph could not restrain himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried out. And you have to go back. If you're not familiar with the story, you're going to have, there's got a lot of backlog reading that you're going to need to catch up on, and I'm not going to do that this morning. We're jumping to this. Make everyone go from, from me. So he says, clear the room. So no one stood with him while Joseph made himself known to his brothers. So you got to remember, quick overview of the story. Leave the, leave the verses up. That he had been betrayed by his brothers. The majority of his brothers wanted to kill him. One of his brothers intervened for him. That's why he was sold into slavery. All these things are going on. So... There's been all this time period, and now they're coming to him for help. They've come to him. There's been this whole process, and now it's time for him to... They didn't recognize him. He recognized his brothers. They didn't recognize him. So, it says, He made himself known to his brothers, and he wept out loud. Now, everyone was out of the room, but the Egyptians in the house of Pharaoh, they heard the weeping. You want to talk about an emotional um, expression, a lot, of, a lot of emotions, painful emotions that have been dealt with and packed away. Verse 3, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? But his brothers could not answer him. Well, if you go back and read the story, you know why they couldn't answer him. They were shocked. They were blown away. For they were dismayed in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, Please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For these two years, the famine, the famine has been in the land, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. And God sent me before you to preserve a prosperity for you in the earth, and you who sent 
you and the earth, and to save your lives by great deliverance. So now, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh, and the Lord of all his house, and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Hurry, and go up to my father and say to him, Thus says um, your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry, and you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, and your children, and your children's children, your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. There I will provide for you, lest you and your household and all that you have come to poverty, for there are still five years of famine. And behold, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is in my, house, in my mouth that speaks to you. So you shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and all that you have seen, and you shall hurry and bring my father down here. Then he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and he wept. And Benjamin wept on his neck. Moreover, he kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Now, I wanted to read this because I think it's such a powerful, it's such a powerful reminder and it's such a powerful proclamation of the faith perspective and the freedom that Joseph had in his spirit. Now, if you, if you go back and read the account, there's so many beautiful details that Joseph was shrewd, Joseph was wise, Joseph was intelligent. He didn't get to the, the place of basically being the prime minister of all of Egypt and being second only to Pharaoh himself over all the land and all the holdings of Egypt by being the naive young man that he may have started out. That naivety was changed in his life over those difficult 13, 13 years. And so what you see here is this, this amazing, elaborate plan that didn't take place overnight. You see the reality of Joseph's patient faith in all that was taking place and all that was going on with the way that he's interacting with his brothers and the freedom that he has. Now, I want you to go to chapter 50, because I want you to read verses 15 through 21 with me. Genesis chapter 50, and I think it's important that we look at this, because it's a stark comparison. So, I just want to remind you that in Genesis chapter 50, Jacob has died. So, his father's died. They brought him to Egypt. Um, I just think it's amazing, if you look at this, um, it's kind of beautiful that Jacob had the first 17 years um, with Joseph. Dead, thought his son was dead. And then he had about 17 years with him in Egypt. I think that's beautiful. But I want you to, I want you to read along with me. Verse uh, 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, now I want you to pay attention to this. Perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for all the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive me the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of your servants, of the God of your father. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. 
Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for I am in the place of God. For am I in the place of God? Sorry about that. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it has this day, as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. What I just want you to see here, the stark difference between, I believe that his brothers, when we look at this, Joseph had made a proclamation and minimum, minimum, 13 or 14 years earlier. So think about that. When we read in Genesis chapter 45, there's this beautiful, emotional, he proclaims, he says to them, he makes it very clear. But so many times in our own lives, with other people, or even when God says things to us. This is just an illustration that I think that we just need to focus on because either his brothers could not receive, they couldn't hear what he was saying that first time in Genesis chapter 45 in that record. Either they couldn't receive it or they couldn't hear it or they either could not believe that what he was saying was actually true. Sometimes we don't have ears to hear, and then other times we can't believe because what we have a tendency to do, do you notice that we have a tendency to process other people based on our own tendencies? So even if you look at Genesis chapter 50, I don't know how many of his brothers, what their walk with God looked like. I don't know what their level of faith was. What I can speak to is that their father Jacob had great faith and that Joseph had great faith. And I know that there were other of the siblings that had faith in Yahweh, Elohim, the, the God of the Hebrews, the one true God. And yet, with that being said, they could not believe because the evil and the struggle of their own heart, most of them could not believe that Joseph would actually be able or be willing to have that kind of perspective or that kind of freedom toward them. So, I just want to mention this quickly. Patient faith gives freedom while unbelief brings bondage of our hearts and souls. Joseph's faith in God gave him an ability to work through things and he had a freedom in his soul, and it was genuine. And you can see in both cases, he wasn't just saying words. In both of these scriptures, in Genesis chapter 45 and in Genesis chapter 50, he's weeping. He's, he's connecting with the pain of the past. It wasn't that he was denying things. He felt things deeply. And if you see that even in chapter 50, the kindness that he displayed... But I want you to just think about this. I believe that the brothers 
lived in torment for their sinful hearts and their sinful actions and their, their unbelief for 13 to 15 years. Joseph had offered them a different perspective because of the faith and the freedom. He'd done nothing but lavish goodness on them. Think about the torment of their souls. They couldn't either receive it. They didn't understand forgiveness. They couldn't comprehend. They wouldn't allow it to take place. So that the very first concern, as soon as their dad died, because they're thinking, what would we do? We would get even. The very first concern, they had to go to Joseph and say, hey, man, here we are. And he's like, basically, hey, I already, I already addressed this years ago. And I love you guys. Regardless of what your motives were, God has used all of those 13 years, not just to develop me, but to use me for thousands of other people. That's a powerful truth. So James chapter 1. I wanted to look at this very quickly. James chapter 1, um, 2 through 8. And I just want to mention this. As we, as we go through it real quick, because there's a couple words I want to leave with you. James chapter 1, 2, 3. My brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. We've got to allow this patient faith to work in us. We'll keep reading verse 5. If any of you likes wisdom, let him ask of God. We need to go to God. We need to be asking him who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. If we will trust him, let him ask of faith with no doubting that he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. This word patience definition in the Greek in this verse. Let me just read you really quick. Let me read these really quick to you. The definition in the Greek, steadfastness, constancy, endurance. In the New Testament, the characteristic of a man who is not swerving from his deliberate purpose and his loyalty to faith and piety by even the greatest trials and sufferings. Patiently and steadfastly. What does this word patient or steadfast mean? A patient, steadfast waiting for. A patient, enduring, sustaining perseverance. So I want to I want to mention a resource. If you, uh, we got a picture of John Piper's. It was amazing the way that this has worked out this week. Um, I received this this week. The payout for patience, and it's funny how John Piper is mentioning. Um, Joseph in this, and I, I want to encourage you, if you, don't, if you don't tune in or if you don't get things from Desiring God, um, it's, a, it's just an amazing resource. And this is, I just want to mention this because it's a great resource. And if, if you're not a reader, what I love is you can click on it and it's voice. Um, you can listen to the voice of the person doing the Devo. I just want to throw that out because it's so amazing. It's just another resource uh, for what we're talking about here. And I want to, with that mention, I want to, um, the guys in Romans chapter 5, they were, the men were studying in Romans chapter 5 on Thursday night, and 
um, Tom was just sharing with me, and it just dovetailed so perfectly into what we're talking about. So I would like for us to just look at Romans chapter 5, 1 through 5, because we're just trying to get our hands around what does patient faith look like. So in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And not only that, we also glory in tribulation. Really? Yes. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Wow. We see the reality of these New Testament proclamations of patient faith all the way back in the Old Testament record that there's a consistency about what patient faith, what it does in our hearts and souls. So Romans chapter 8. I want to just remind you, if you never focused on these in the context of what we're talking about, because in America, a lot of the gospel presentation is about health, wealth, and prosperity. And trust me, I believe that God blesses myself, my family. I, I'm a living product of the favor and the love and the blessings of God undeservedly. I, I, I believe that God provides and God moves and God does, but I don't believe it's a singular track. I believe that there's multiple tracks, and I believe that part of our development is through difficulty and tribulation and hardship. It doesn't always have to be you're destitute and poor. There's tribulations and hardship of soul, of mind, and spirit. And we have to go through those things to have our character developed. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. The glory is not in the circumstances. The glory is in the character. It's what's revealed in us. And I just want to mention, along with this study of Joseph, if you haven't just taken some time to read through Romans chapter 5 and Romans chapter 8, it will bode well for your soul to consider these great things and to see the working of God. So Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? I want you to think about Joseph as we read these verses. Joseph's proclamation of patient faith. Think about Joseph saying what the writer of Romans is saying. That Joseph is saying in his own personal walk during those 13 years, if God is for me, then it doesn't matter whether Potiphar is against me. It doesn't matter if Potiphar's wife accuses me falsely of something sexual and I get, show, get put in jail. It doesn't matter if God is for me, 
the butler and the baker and me being totally forgotten and overlooked for two years, an extra two years in prison, in jail, incarcerated. If God is for me, who can be against me? Let's read on. He who did not spare his own son, Jesus celebrating his gift, his resurrection, but he delivered him up. For us all, how shall he not with us also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who, it, who, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen. Who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us? Who shall separate us from that love, the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I believe that Joseph had great faith in God And in his own words, in his own heart, during that time period, even though they used different words than what's being recorded in Romans chapter 8, that Joseph clung to what God had revealed to him, that Joseph believed in God, and Joseph believed that he could not be separated from God's love for him. What about you and I? What about us? We all... And especially in America, the difference between a lot of times the American church versus a church in third world countries and around the world is because we can talk a big game from the comfort of our home, from the comfort of all these amenities that we have. Brothers and sisters in other parts of the world, they're not talking a big game, they're living a big game because of the challenges that they're facing because of the things that they're going through. And they sometimes cling more desperately to the love of God in Romans chapter 8 and these great truths than what we do, because we have a tendency to put our confidence in other things. Joseph knew both. He had a privileged, favored upbringing, and then he went through 13 years of hellacious training. Difficulty. So I want to give you three things about patient faith. Learning to trust God makes one patient. And, I mean, some of you, you were like me. You've prayed for patience. I learned that's not something that's on the top of my prayer list now. God, make me patient. I want to learn patience, and I know that that's one of the things that's important. But patient faith? There's a, there's a process. And if we are truly children of God, if we've truly been redeemed, 
part of being conformed to the image of Christ is we're going to go through difficulties and we're going to have to learn patience because that's how God develops our character that reflects the reality of Jesus in a lost world. So let me give you three things to think about. What does this type of patient faith look like? Patient faith, number one, patient faith changes your perspective, but it does not take away the pain. It helps you deal with the pain. It helps you cope with the pain. But patient faith, just like what we read in Romans chapter 8, it's about what is working inside of us, in our hearts, our souls, and our minds. And patient faith, it changes your outlook on things. It changes your perspective. Isn't it amazing how two people can stand right next to each other and see a similar thing ahead of them, and their perspectives are totally different? And it's not just about being a pessimist or an optimist. It's about a depth of understanding, a depth of love, a depth of, of commitment because faith versus unbelief, it changes your perspective. Number two, patient faith gives you strength to endure the horrible situation. Patient faith creates a strength a fortitude, a resilience, a resolve to where that you can go through, you can endure the horrible situation. So many times, especially I see it today more than ever before, everybody's constantly trying to get somebody out of an uncomfortable situation. And sometimes I come across as, well, people don't understand that I'm, I'm trying to help people endure the situation because I know the pain and suffering and tribulation produces godly character. And sometimes we just have to walk it. We have to endure it. We have to take the consequences of what we've done. We've, we have to learn from those things. But there's a great strength that patient faith creates. And number three, patient faith allows you to release the bad to God and open your heart to His goodness and love. Now, I really want you to focus on this one along with the other two, but patient faith allows you to release the bad to God. How do I know this? Because for me, um, I experience hurt. I experience rejection. I experience a lot of negative things in my life as I minister. My, my wife and I, we've experienced a lot of pain in the past. And just like what I mentioned earlier, that there's a, a choice to either cling to God or push him away. And I can tell you in my own life, for me personally, that more now than ever before, resentment, anger, bitterness, I mean, greed, comparison, I can give you a whole list of negative sinful things. I bring those to God, and I'm like, God, help me to identify those. Help me root those out of my life, and help me to embrace your love. Help me to embrace your goodness, because what he's called me, what he's called us to do, without having his perspective, without having his strength, without his help of forgiveness and restoration and redemption in my soul, 
if I'm not careful, I wind up living just like Joseph's brothers. I can talk a big game. I can go through the motions. But down deep in my heart, there's this fear. There's this guilt. There's this torment for the things that have been done. And I'm not living in freedom. So then if I'm living in torment and somebody wrongs me, I want to get even with them. Or I want to exact something on them instead of living with the freedom that Christ has died for me to live with and for me to have that joy, for me to have that hope, that unexplained hope that when all of these bad tribulations come against me to where I can truly say, God, I'm releasing the bad. I want to learn from the bad, but I don't remember it. I want to move on from it. I want to, and we've been talking about this, embrace the good, allow God to move in and do stuff in your heart and soul. I hope that this has encouraged you. I love, I, I go back regularly and I look at Joseph's life because I need to be reminded of these truths. For Joseph, at that point in his life, after those years, he had, he had looked out for his family and yet to see the stark difference between the freedom that Joseph had toward all the bad that his family had tried to bring upon him and all of the un, in, injustice that he'd experienced, and for him to have a freedom before God to receive God's blessings and then to be a, an agent for God's blessings to flow through and bless other people, he was free of bitterness. Joseph was free of hatred. He was free of vengeance. And yet his brothers, all those years, while they were living together, were twisted up and tormented inside. Let's not be like that. Let's learn from Joseph. Let's remember Joseph. And let's make strides to embrace patient faith. To allow faith to grow and produce patience and steadfastness and long-suffering inside of each and every one of us. And I can tell you from personal experience that the three points I just shared with you, they're from my own life. I didn't read them out of a book. That patient faith changes my perspective. It gives me a strength. I'm not a strong man physically, but God is creating strength inside of the sinew of my heart and soul. And then what that does is that just gives me a freedom and allows me to not hold on to the bad, not live in the past, but to expectantly move forward with hope. And that's what Joseph's example to me is all about. So I pray that we would be the kind of people that we remember Joseph, remember his patient faith, and let him be one of our, 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 our heroes that we can look to and say, God, help me to be that kind of man in a lost world that's full of anger, full of hatred, full of resentment, can't seem to let things go. God, help me in this world to live differently because of the righteousness that's been made available to me through Jesus Christ and his great sacrifice. Do you and will you live with the belief that God loves you and nothing can separate you from that love? That's the kind of faith we need to have. That's what God wants us to believe because that's what's really true, regardless of what lies are thrown out there. So hope I've been a challenge, a blessing, and encouragement. Um, and I hope that you'll look at Joseph's life and you'll study on your own. Um, just as we close, just want to remember, remind you of June 13th and June 14th. 
super excited about being able to be close to each other, see each other's faces, worship together, hear each other's voices proclaimed. Uh, June 13th and 14th, we're going to kick off uh, figuring out how to take steps and be back together in public, open worship outdoors. Hope you have a great day. Pass on the freedom and the love of Jesus to somebody around you this week. Because whether they realize it or not, they desperately need to sense the love of God. And he's called you to be the one to pass it on. So let's embrace that today. See you.